0: Well, good morning, Journey. Good morning. Well, it is official. Dory and I are now homeowners in the great city of Wayne, Nebraska. We uh, we closed on our house this past Wednesday, and it feels great to actually uh, officially be here, putting down some roots to call Wayne our home. You know this, uh, yeah? <laughs> this moving process began months ago when I, when I got online and I filled out a United States Postal Service change of address form. Back when we lived in Council Bluffs, I thought, you know, I probably should get, get that going so you can get online, you can set the date in advance of when they're going to shift your mail over. You know, that's an, an important step to do when you move, but really it's kind of mechanical, isn't it? You know, it's socially removed from all of the stuff that goes into making a move. Now, when when you think about it for a moment, there's a lot of changes that take place when, when you move to a new community. I mean, the obvious one is the physical move. You load up your belongings in a truck, you pack your boxes, and you move from point A to point B. And if you're like us, you move your boxes from A to B and then from B to C and then C back to B and you you keep shuffling these boxes around until you can find a place for all of your stuff. You know, and then, then there's the new house. You know, we, we left our home of 14 years in Iowa. We now have a new house in Wayne. And then you got to figure out where to put all your stuff. I mean, it's a different layout, different kitchen, different cabinets. So you spend months just slowly unpacking the boxes and figuring out where all of your stuff is going to go. And then you have to become familiar with, with the new town. You know, you got to figure out where to buy your groceries. What's a good auto mechanic to go to? Where am I going to get my hair done? I mean, those are those are important questions when you when you step into a new community. But beyond that, there's also you know, for us, there's occupational changes. You know, I'm I'm returning to pastoral ministry after years of working uh, in the nonprofit ministry world. There's a new new job for Dory on the horizon that she starts in a couple of weeks but there's also relational changes isn't there I mean we are now part of a new church family called Journey and with that there's new friendships to form there's new social spheres to join into so there's new relationships there's also new experiences like this thing called chicken days (laughs) man I've heard about it for a long time now I can say I've experienced chicken days and my therapy starts tomorrow morning (laughs) You know, it was interesting. It's been a lot, a lot of fun. I love seeing the community come out, um, but man, it's it's that's all part of being involved in a new community. The stuff that makes it unique. You know, a question that I've heard a lot lately, and and I've asked myself, is the question, uh, "Where are you from?" I mean, it, it's a great question, right? Because it's it's more than just your mailing address. Because it involves, you know, when you you ask that question, it involves hopefully further conversation. So if I were to ask you that, you know, I I would really like more than your mailing address because it's really an opening of a door to conversation. You open up opportunities to connect with that person and maybe at least there's some follow-up questions as you get to know them and their families more. it, It might lead to deeper questions and it could begin, you know, a chance to begin a friendship. So where are you from? Well, that question lies at the heart of our text today from Colossians. And at the very beginning of Colossians, a small window is opened up To that, when Paul begins his letter, and and he addresses it to the believers in Colossa, which is a small town in modern day Turkey, and at, at that time, kind of a backwoods part of the Roman Empire. So he addresses it to the believers in Colossa, but he also says to the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. So as far as Paul is concerned, uh, these believers had two addresses. Their physical location, you know, what we would call our, their mailing address. And then uh, their life absorbed and wrapped up in, in the King of kings, Lord of lords, who is supreme and sufficient over all. And you know what? As believers, we essentially have two addresses as well. You know, you have your mailing address, we all do. But then we have another spiritual address which really focuses on where you are with Jesus and where you are at in Jesus. So it's this spiritual address where we want to camp out today in our text. Now, we, we pick up today in, in the third chapter of Colossians, and chapter 3 begins with a shift in the book. The first two chapters really focused on um, the questions of who and what is Jesus. So Paul really goes into depth in talking about how sufficient and supreme Jesus is. And, he, and he's very clear that all we need is Jesus. We don't need any add-ons to our, to our faith. We just need Jesus as supreme. But then chapter 3 begins with a how question. He says, because Jesus is supreme, because he is sufficient, how then are we to live our lives how do we live life at this new address that we call in christ well here's the point i want you to remember today when when we come to jesus as our savior we get a new address and with that new address comes a whole lot of change a whole lot of change so two two changes i want to uh, point out today that, that we need to embrace being part of in Christ. One is a change of focus and the other is a change of practice. Well, this first is about a change of focus. You know, I've been wearing glasses since I've been 15 years old. You know, it's not my choice. It's just what, what happened. My eyes started going bad. And I remember I, remember I was in middle school, in math class, and, and I couldn't read the board. And this went on and on, and I couldn't read it, and I moved to the front row, still couldn't read it, so my parents took me to the optometrist, and I got glasses. And ever since then, I've had to wear them day in, day out. You know, And every, every couple of years, I have to go um, get my eyes checked because it kind of starts with... When I'm driving, you know, I'm driving at night and I realize, oh, I can't read those signs. And and, and you you kind of brush it off for a little bit. Then you realize, no, I really can't read those signs. So then then you, then you figure, oh, it's about time for an eye check. And I go in, and I get a new prescription, new lenses. And this happens regularly every year, every couple of years. And then at one point in my life, I could not only see, I couldn't see far, but things close up got blurry, too. And they gave me these lenses now that I can see things close and far. You know, just a part of getting old, yeah. Well, in our... Living in Christ, we have a change of focus that shifts to spiritual living with some very tangible earthly results. But Let me read the first opening verses of chapter 3 for you. The Apostle Paul's writing, and he says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated, seated at the right hand of God set your minds on things above not on earthly things for you died and your life is now hidden with christ and god and when christ who is your life appears then you you also will appear with him in glory this new focus that we have comes from and is derived from a new relationship that we have in Christ. It comes out of living in Christ. And these first few verses are a description of what that life looks like. I, I, wanna, I want us to look at those again, but in a different order. And as we change it up, it's this beautiful description. So he says, for you died. In other words, we died with Christ. When we are buried with Christ, it's a, it's a visual symbol of death to the old self. But then it says, when Christ, who is your life. So when we live in Christ, we have a new life. The old is dead and gone, and the new has come. And then it goes on to say that you have been raised with Christ. You know, this life that we live, it's resurrection life. You know, again, that that image of baptism, dead to the old self and being raised again to new life. And then it says your life is now hidden with Christ. I mean, there's this beautiful image there of of as we are hidden with Christ, we are protected by him. And then ultimately, you will also appear with him in glory. We are glorified ultimately with Christ. I mean, that's a beautiful description of change. That's a beautiful description of living life with a new focus. And nothing remains the same when we take up residence in Christ. You can't hang on to the old, you know. There's, there's no a la carte menu when you're following Jesus. You know, have you ever been to those fancy restaurants where you can choose your entree? You know, you choose the steak or the chicken. Then everything else is an add-on, a la carte items. That's, you know, which simply means you're paying a whole lot more. But you're you picking shoes. That's not the case when we follow Jesus. There's no picking, there's no, no choosing. It's all or nothing. You're either in Christ or you're not. But these, verse, this, these verses begin with some interesting phrases that it might at first seem, some, seem challenging because it tells us to set our hearts and our minds on things above. And when we first read that, we might think, well, shouldn't we be focusing on the here and now? I mean, this is where, where God put us, and we, we might look at that as an, an escapist mentality. You know, may, may, maybe you've heard the phrase uh, about a person, they're so heavenly-minded that, that they're no earthly good. You know, or a person has their head in the clouds, meaning that they're always thinking about faraway stuff, and, you know, the here and now are just getting stuff done. They, they just, that's not them. You know, it almost puts this tension between things above and and living in the real world. But that's not a tension that we see in the text. Because as we we look at scripture, as we look at, you know, how Christ has impacted history throughout the times, we see that those who are living in Christ have had the greatest impact in the here and now. In fact, I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. This is from the book Mere Christianity he says it does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is if you read history you will find that the christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next the apostles themselves who set on fire the conversion of the roman empire the great men who built up the middle ages the english evangelicals who abolished the slave trade all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. Then he goes on to say, It is since Christians have largely ceased to think about the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. So aim at heaven, and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you will get neither. I love that quote, especially when it says that the Christians who did the most here and now in this present world were those that thought the most about the next. See, how you how you think about your life in Christ impacts here and now. It impacts tangibly present, you know, the life that we live on, on earth. So when, when the scripture says, set your mind and hearts on things above, that also means set your feet in motions right here and now. You know, there's... Two different kinds of waiting isn't there there's kind of the rainy day waiting that's very passive you know you're sit you're sitting at home watching the rain come down you're like you know just hoping for the sun to come out hoping for it to get better and you're just moping around but then there's friends coming over waiting I mean, that's, that's active waiting because you're waiting with anticipation and expectation because your friends are coming over. So you're hustling around the house, you're getting things ready, you're cleaning, you're setting out snacks, you're brewing the iced tea, you're making coffee because people are coming over. And that's the active kind of waiting that Scripture calls us to. Yes, we can wait for that day where we're ultimately glorified or when Jesus comes home, whichever comes first. But with, with this new prescription we see life here and now differently, as better, because we're living in the power of resurrection life. You know, we can either sit around and do nothing and and wait for Jesus to return, or we can get to work and make the name of Jesus known. And as we read all of Scripture, we see that believers throughout history, believers as we read them in the New, New Testament, were always getting to work here and now. Well, a new focus also brings along with it a, a desire to put away sin and strive for Jesus. Because what we desire really determines what we do in the here and now. Our text goes on to list a couple different lists of specific sins. You know, um, he, Paul lists some sensual sins that really deal with the heart, with selfishness. And then he lists some social sins in regards to how we view and treat other people. And he says these are the things, if we have a new focus, these are the things that we are to put to death. So here's here's the specific sins he lists, starting in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And because of these, the wrath of God is coming. So there's this sexual arena that Paul says to put to death. Things of immorality and impurity and lust. And at the core, these are pure selfishness, aren't they? The opposite of love, which is self-giving. And evil desires, that's simply when, when we are placing our own interests and concerns over and above the others. Again, just this root cause of selfishness. And th- then he lists greed, which is all about that anyway, you know, where, where, we, want, where we want whatever we want, we're going to run after it and chase it. And Paul ultimately calls that idolatry. And idolatry is just a failure to trust God as the provider of all that we need. So that at the root is this heart selfishness. And then he goes on to list some very other specific sins that are kind of the social uh, outworking of this heart selfishness because we read in verse 8 we pick up it says but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these anger rage malice slander and filthy language from your lips and do not lie to each other you know these are really just verbal outworkings of a selfish heart if it's all about you if it's all about what you want and, and your desires Man, things like anger and slander and rage—man, that—that's just the visible symptoms of a messed-up heart. And Paul says, "Put these to death," because we have a new focus, and that leads right to our second point this morning. Because a, a new residence also leads to a change in practice. Do, do you ever like go through your closet from time to time and just purge your clothing? You know, you break out the garbage bag and you start pulling stuff that either you haven't worn in a long time or for some reason, you know, due to humidity, it starts to shrink in your closet and and it no longer fits. You know, I hate when that happens. But you're taking this stuff, you're putting it in the bag, and you're like, all right, I'm just going to get rid of it, need to make some room, and you take it down to Micah's closet or you go to to a Goodwill and, and you hand it off. You know, this is kind of the analogy that Paul is making in the scripture because he's saying, out with the old lifestyle, out with the old way of living, and in with the new. And this analogy, you know, we've already seen earlier in Colossians in chapter 2 because he says, taking something off also means putting something else on, something new. Now, picture this scenario. You're, You're getting ready to go out somewhere and And you walk walk into the living room, you're grabbing your keys, you're about to head out the door, and your spouse stops you and says, you're not going to wear that, are you? (laughs) Has that ever happened to you? Now, if you ever hear those words coming from your spouse's lips, let me encourage you just to pause for a moment before responding with some smart aleck remark. Because what comes out of your mouth next could have serious impact on how the rest of your day goes you know usually for me um, Dory's the one uttering those words to me and it's quite often because you know my clothes don't match so she's got a very valid point you know me I, I like walk out wearing plaids with stripes or two shades of green that just do not go together so it's, it's a legitimate question you know or maybe your spouse you know, sees a, a rip or a stain that you didn't notice and she's just pointing that out to you. Or, or maybe your clothing is not appropriate for the event or, or where you're going, you know. You're not going to wear that, are you? You know, sometimes within the church family, we need to ask that kind of question for our spiritual lives. You're not going to wear that, are you? Meaning the, the clothing of the old self with his practices. Because sometimes we, we, we go about our lives still with the old clothes on. We say, yeah, I'm living in Christ. But the way we look, the way we act, the way we practice our life still looks a lot like the old clothing hanging in the closet. So I think within the church family, we have to be comfortable asking that kind of question. You're not going to wear that, are you? Meaning you're not going to really talk that way to your spouse, are you? You're not going to disrespect your spouse like that, are you? You're not going to watch that kind of movie, are you? You're not going to drink that much, are you? Questions of accountability that remind us that, you know, our old lifestyle needs to be put aside. It needs to be done away with because we're called to live and walk in newness of life. Because our new residence in Christ means a new practice. You know, and verse 10 of our scripture talks about how we're just being renewed continually. It's, it's not, not something that is one and done, but it's a continual practice, a continual change, a continual sense of growth as we are being renewed, becoming more and more like Jesus. And as we become more like Jesus, hopefully the world becomes more and more curious on on why you're living your life the way you do. So that when, when they look at you, they're like, man, why are you acting that way? Why are you so generous? Why are you so forgiving? You know, Why do you give of your time like that? When you have a young family or when you're so busy, you know, why do you do what you do? You know, I've, I've heard it said that we should live questionable lives in, in a good sense. Live our lives in such a way that, that people outside of Christ wonder why we do what we do. So when we have a, a change in practice, it's out with the old lifestyle, but it's also out with the old differences. Our passage today, we wrap up with verse 11 when Paul says here, this new place that we are in Christ, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised barbarian, Scythian, slave or free but Christ is all and is in all. You know, I go back to that opening question where are you from? You know, it's the first question that that you quite often ask when you meet somebody that looks differently or sounds differently or acts differently than from where you are at. So sometimes our our accents give us away or the the way you dress kind of give away, you know, where you grew up or where you're from. Sometimes it's just your perspectives or your hobbies. Those things tell a story. You know some good some bad some are obvious like maybe uh, your language accents some not so much you know Dory and I we've lived in in different places throughout our married life and each one of those were unique and each one of those had unique perspectives that, that that weren't the same you know we lived in Indiana when I was going to seminary and and the the folks there in Indiana, they talked with a southern accent, and it felt more like Kentucky than central Indiana. And then we moved to Wisconsin, and and they they talked a different way, and it was a lot of different habits even in between. You know, my, my last name, Fremstad, it's not a very common name, except for one area in western Wisconsin that if you would go there, the name Fremstad is like Smith or Jones anywhere else, in the country there's this pocket geographic pocket of fremstads there so so when I go back I can just mention my last name and tell them who my my grandfather was and then throw in a little northern Norwegian accent like you know ja, don't <laughs> start saying yeah ja, you betcha you know and and throw that in there well yeah ja, don't you know there say <laughs> say stuff like that and say Minnesota And then all, all of a sudden, you know, I'm accepted into this clan, into their tribe because I talk like them and I'm from there. My family has that connection there. Those distinctives are clear. But you know what? When we are residing in Christ, we have a stronger bond than, you know, a Norwegian northern accent can take, a deeper connection than a geographic location, can bring us. You see, the gospel breaks down those barriers. The gospel breaks down those walls. You know, look at the life of Jesus. When he was on the earth, he broke down all of these barriers because he literally touched the untouchable. He went and and touched the leper, those that would have been, been considered outcasts and unclean and couldn't even reside within the social sphere of the city. Jesus reached out to them and touched them. And Jesus gave attention to children, which in that day and area were were overlooked and, you know, uh, better left unseen was the approach to children. Jesus elevated and, and valued women in a culture that saw them more as property than anything else. See, Jesus brought the gospel to all the wrong kind of people. He ate with the wrong people. He went into the wrong people's homes and he opened up the kingdom of God to the wrong crowd, at least according to the Jewish mindset of the day. Now you, you might live in in the city limits of, of Wayne or you might live in another, you know, community, maybe Allen or Laurel, or you might live in Wayne County Or you might live in northeast Nebraska. But more importantly, we are a church family who lives in Christ. And we do this together. So being in Christ is always greater than your mailing address. Where where are you from? Folks, with this new residence that we have of being in Jesus comes a whole lot of change. A change in focus and a change in practice. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up this morning. And as they do, I just want to ask you this question, you know. What, what's your address? Do, do you have one address or do you have two? We all have a mailing address, but do you have that second address that says, I am in Christ? And if you do, are you living your life with a change of focus? Are you living your life with a change of practice? in such a way that people are curious and people are questioning, you know, why do you do what you do? And I want to encourage you today to take up residence in Jesus and let the world know why and who you are. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for just the opportunity, the privilege that that you give us to take up residence with you. Father, I I pray for each person here this morning that we can say, yeah, I'm I'm living in Jesus. And with that comes all the change along with it. So Father, do that work in our lives, stir in the hearts here that that might be on the fence or or not really sure of what that means to, to take a step. But Lord, I just pray that they do so today. And we lift this up and pray in your name. If that describes you, if you you want to take that step of becoming and living in Christ and come talk to me today or connect with me during the week and I'd love to just walk you through that process of living your life in Christ.